0: This is Coda Radio, Episode 103 for May 26, 2014. everyone, and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, hello. How are you doing, man?
1: Good. I, I definitely wasn't coding before the show and forgot about the show. Don't,
0: don't you know it's Memorial Day? You're not supposed to be working today? Which means By we way, probably shouldn't be doing the show. At work. <laughs> you're a soldier. You know, when you're self-employed, the, uh, the holidays don't quite have the same impact that they used to have. It's, it's one of those harsh realities of working for yourself instead well, of working for you. the holidays are
1: great, actually, because no one calls me so I can That's very work.
0: true. Well, uh, good news. We got an easy episode this week. I talked about it with the chat room ahead of time, too, and... Um, Here's something, Mike. This is just the reality of this type of weekly uh, development talk show. There is uh, Christmas Comes Twice for Coda Radio, and it comes in June, and that is WWDC and Google I.O. Because from there, not only is there great speculation to be had before those events kick off, but then there is always the ramifications of what is announced, what has been changed, that then developers will probably spend the rest of the year figuring out. And so this week... We're going to talk a little bit about Apple's upcoming WWDC keynote, which will wrap up next Monday, right as we're going on the air. At least their keynote will wrap up. So join us if you'd like to uh, hang out with us during the live stream. We'll we'll do play-by-play during the keynote, and then we'll go on the air immediately as the keynote wraps up at noon, uh, which is our regular Coder Radio time, and we'll discuss it. Now, we're not going to get into the Beats kind of stuff. You know, we're not going to talk about Dr. Dre. I mean, this is actual speculation of things that we think developers will have to deal with or things that will change the technology landscape or particularly pique our interest for whatever reason. We're not going to do the you know, the silly stuff. So stick with us because, as the chat room was pointing out when I was talking with them earlier, a lot of times when these companies announce these kinds of changes, a lot of other companies in the industry will sort of replicate what they've done, will we'll follow suit. So oh, it absolutely. sort of sets the tone. So even when it's talking about Apple a lot of times that ends up applying to a lot of the rest of the industry. In fact, I, you know, I mean, I just as an example, look at the netbook, right? I mean, the whole time the netbook craze was going on, and man, was that a craze. Everybody's like, Apple has to make a netbook or Apple is dead. Apple better make a netbook. And then, <laughs> and then Apple makes the MacBook Air and the iPad and decimates the netbook, right? And the rest of the industry now has these metal, ultralight MacBook clones, And everybody's making a tablet, right? So I I think there's value, even if you're not particularly an Apple follower, to at least watching some of this kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, Mike and I picked some of our favorite topics that should be brought up at WWDC or maybe won't, and we'll do a little myth busting. And I incorporated a little bit of feedback we got from last week's episode. We're going to tone down some of the feedback this week, so we got two, only two emails. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about my Nook. I got another Intel NUC, a big one. So by big, it's like the size of the old Mac Mini before they shrunk them down like the, when it was still in the plastic housing. It's about that size. It's a little bit smaller than that. But you can pop off the bottom and you can put in a full 2.5-inch SSD drive. So you get internal PCI access for storage and a full 2.5-inch SSD drive you can put in this NUC. And over the weekend... Rikai installed os 10 let me see pull it up right here uh os 10 10.9.3 i think it works flawlessly and people had written in uh in the Coda radio audience telling me you could do this when i mentioned i bought a NUC. so it yeah uh let's see here uh, uh os 10 10.9.3 it's a 1.3 gigahertz intel core i5 8 gigabytes of ram the iris graphics and it runs flawlessly everything sleep um, HDMI mirroring out with sound out of the HDMI port works. Uh, all of the the sound card works. The Ethernet works. All the USB works. It's it's like it's a perfect Mac Mini. It is a perfect Mac Mini because I already had the SSD drive. It was four hundred and like sixty dollars. For no, Chris,
1: you, you're just making me sad. Actually, uh, me and my loyal PM Zach Berman are here today, and he sits down at his desk, boots his beautiful quad core iMac. And it freezes. Boots it again. And it freezes.
0: Yeah.
1: And again, and finally, it was so unusable that we had to bust out a crappy Mac mini that we were using as like a stupid little, you know, shared file storage. Yeah. And that's what he's working on. And now you're telling me, how how much did you spend on this hack and time? Well, you can
0: range. Uh, All in, if you include the SSD drive that I already had, it's probably about $510.
1: You make me sick.
0: And you could put up to 16 gigs of RAM in it. You could put two hard drives in it if you want to get a PCI Express drive and a regular SSD drive. And these aren't crazy expensive. Like, you could get 128 mi- a gigabyte PCI Express little, uh, it's the mini PCI Express for laptop kind of connectors. Right. You can pick one of those up for 70 bucks for 120 gigabytes. And you, so you can have a, 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 here's the thing I'm trying to tell you. This is why I'm so excited about this. Because it's not about the fact that this thing can run OS 10. It is the fact that this thing runs all three operating systems that I care about flawlessly. Windows runs perfect. Linux runs perfect. And OS 10 runs perfect. Everything is perfect in all three operating systems. It's the holy trinity. The only downside...
1: Is it the holy trinity or the trifecta from hell?
0: The only downside is... And I have it right here off to the side for those of you watching the video version. You can't quite see it. The only downside is that it's that Intel graphics, right? If you want dedicated graphics, yeah, you're kind of out of luck.
1: All right, so talk to me. You know I've been in the market. Uh, aren't you concerned that one day Apple is going to, I don't know, send an update that you either can't install or will be incredibly difficult for you to install? Yeah, I mean, I used to,
0: you know, uh, but I have a Hackintosh upstairs that I haven't updated since 10.7. And uh, I like it better. I think I was, you know, like. Oh, you're killing me! To be honest with you, like, if it's a production machine where you're working on something that's, you know, week in a week out, you maybe shouldn't be doing updates anyways, right away. So you would probably be a little more cautious about deploying just updates than you might anyways if it's an important machine. And so I just treat it like that. So we don't do an update until it's time to where you know okay. it's set aside. So right, yes, right. that is a that is a problem. But with these Nux it's less likely to be a, a much of, as much of a problem. So it kind of depends. I mean, there is that aspect. But if you just want a machine that you could write code in Windows, Linux, and Mac OS on native hardware without having to do any virtualization, and, you know, again, like, you don't have to get the i5, too. Gigabyte sells a SKU of the NUC that has a core i7 processor in it. I mean, so you can get an i7 in these things, and you could actually be building your code under all three different operating systems and running those applications, and it's all just one reboot away. It's, I mean, for me, that's huge for, for for our production workload because I don't I don't really ever need Windows. But on that very rare occasion where like I want to see if something works better under Windows, like maybe a Skype HD camera, it's so nice to have that option there. Yeah, I just I'm I'm right. really thrilled about it for 500 bucks, dude. For 500 bucks.
1: So I mean, so you're confident. So this is an issue for me. I you know I'm currently on a Dell XPS. I have a MacBook Air to my left, uh, and I'm constantly switching between. You know, machines. Depending on what kind of development I'm doing, you're telling me you have three operating systems, and one of them is OS 10 mm-hmm. running flawlessly on this one machine.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great.
1: I think you're going to need to link that in the show notes. I uh,
0: all right. I'll throw I'll throw the nuc we bought in the show notes because you get the fatty one with the uh, with the uh, 2.5 inch drive because uh, that that you have to get the bigger nuc for that one. Uh, and yeah, you know, so I would say the only caveat is that Iris. 5200 graphics, um, okay. and uh, for the uh, NUC that we have, there's one other caveat, is there's some patching that has to be done for the Haswell processor. That's what's preventing the updates. That's why I couldn't say, oh, yeah, I would just do updates right now, because guess what Apple does? And you'd never know this until you go to Hackintosh. Uh, they have a fork of OS 10 just for their Haswell laptops there is a separate version of OS 10 running on the MacBooks than it was just running on any other Mac that doesn't have a Haswell processor. And so you and, and y- the software installer detects if it's a Haswell or not and installs it, but on the NUC, you have to install it and then go grab the Haswell kernel. So it takes like one extra step. That's why the updates don't work right away. However, it's likely that Apple will bring the whole line to Haswell probably maybe next Monday uh, or later in the year. And then mainline OS 10 will just have Haswell support when they do that. Because that's how it's happened in the past. Like when they added uh, previous processor supports or, or graphics cards, yeah. that's how they did it. Like when they went Retina, only the build of OS 10 on the MacBook Retina had the support for that yeah. video card, right? But then eventually it went into all of OS 10. X. So, no, yeah.
1: and, and this kind of dovetails with what we want to talk about. I, I mean, one of the obvious predictions, right, is we're going Haswell, right? I, I can't imagine us not going Haswell totally at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean... Uh, that's yeah, just insulting to not... What they really need to do is get Haswell Mac Minis. They need to get Mac Minis, because so they haven't been updated since 2012. Yes. And yes, That's what this NUC is. This NUC is a Mac Mini that happens to be a better Mac Mini because, to me, running those other operating systems is more valuable. But if Apple came along and updated the Mac Mini, I think for guys like you, where you know, uh, OS X development is more of a, of, a, of, a, of a primary driver, then the Mac Mini might make a little more sense. But I, I just cannot bring myself to buy a computer from 2012 for eight nine hundred dollars, I can't that, do yeah. it. I just cannot. Yeah. My my, I can't do it. I'm just. I'm too much of a techno s- uh, snob, I guess. So that would be a good update. So before we get to our predictions, we should probably read some emails. And oh, I kept no. it. I kept it short this week. I kept it tight because people are like, yeah, the feedback's been getting a little long. I know. I like the feedback. So what we're going to do is keep sending your emails in, and we might shorten some of them or be a little pickier, but we still want to get your feedback. So let's start with Scott's email. Scott writes in. And he says, "Hey guys, what about Qt?" He says, "Qt appears to have lots are cute. Appears to have lots of good features for developers. Cross-platform. You know, it runs on desktops, mobiles, tablets. It's free. Has its own nice IDE, Qt Creator. It looks awesome. So why is it not more popular?" Cheers, Scott. What do you think, Mike? Why we've talked about Qt for over? I mean, the whole run of the show. Uh, it doesn't seem to have gotten any more. In fact, didn't we even say Year of Qt at one point?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm actually currently, we have a QT project on right now. Um, and and it's, it's a client project. I'm not sure how, I guess I don't agree with the premise that QT isn't popular. That's where I was going to go. Yeah. It's not, you know, sexy. The hipsters in Brooklyn aren't doing (laughs) QT, that's for sure.
0: Or, or in the Bay.
1: Right. It, it's a very, very, very viable option for cross-platform development, um, in terms of desktop, and every day they get a little better at mobile. Having said that, I, sure, I, I don't think it's super viable on iOS and Android just yet. But if you're doing some sort of desktop application or anything, you know, unusual, your QT is a great option, and how we're mm. using it. So
0: yeah, I I, I agree. I've uh, we just chat chatted with uh, Jonathan Thomas. He's the uh, lead developer of OpenShot, which is. Uh, A uh, video editor that is switching from GTK to QT as part of a crowdfunding campaign so that way it's easier to go cross-platform and that was an interesting discussion about why he's going QT. We've talked about this on Linux Unplugged a little bit too because we're watching it in the desktop toolkit trends, you know, we're seeing where that's going. So I, I think QT is seeing a lot of grassroots usement. I think the watershed event will be when you know, you've really got a deployment scenario that works on iOS and works on Android, and I put iOS first intentionally because I think that's really, I think that's really a big piece. Is uh, if you can if you can tell developers, yeah, desktop, iOS, and Android. I mean, come on, I mean that's you've won, go home, you've, you're done. But I think until you can say that confidently in, in a way that is attractive to developers, eh, I think that's going to be a barrier for Qt. But in other uses, it'll continue. And that pressure will will push on getting Qt working in a, in a way that developers like on those other platforms, don't you think, Mike?
1: Yeah, I think Qt actually works fine as is right now. It's just not working in the, you know, most talked about areas.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it needs. Yeah, I, I'm trying to. I guess what I'm trying to do is put words into what it needs to, to to break into that space. And I think it needs to be something that, you know, is really appealing to that group. I, I don't know. I don't always know how they think. Aaron writes in with our last email this week. Uh, he says, uh, Dear Chris and Mike, oh, put your uh, shields up, Mike. Here we go. Shields We're going up, in for yeah. battle. Love the show. Except around this time of year. Humbug oh, uh, to you, sir. After we get through this mobile S Fest, I hope you guys have some good guests lined up to talk about some serious development work. Wow. All right, so that's the biting part. Now he continues on. So a couple of shows ago, he read an email accusing Michael of being an Apple fanboy, and the reader wanted to hear more about Windows and Linux. This is clearly not the case. Michael obviously hates all platforms with equal fever.
1: I would agree with that statement, yes. <laughs> yes, so do I.
0: Then Mr. Dominic went on to say something like Linux is a fraction of the market share, which we, I think, did both agree. Then he says, this is obviously true for the microcosm of native mobile and desktop development. Some of us live in the real world, however. Oh, stings again. Where most programming jobs are, in fact, web development, which is all Linux. And the highest paying development jobs are enterprise infrastructure, which is also a ship load of Linux. And let's not forget about embedded, again, Linux. Not all development jobs require you to care about the shade of blue. Hmm. It's one thing not to talk about these domains much in the show. Not your bag. I grok. Though I wish it weren't so, it's another thing to ignore their existence and pretend that Linux is only a marginal desktop OS. Linux is everywhere! It's ubiquities, reflecting the development opportunities. Thanks for the show, and keep up the good work. Now, I think he's kind of got us there. And this happens because we get into context, and then we discuss within that context. not
1: really, though, right? Because, okay, so you want to go into web development. So, it doesn't matter which version of Linux you're on for the most part,
0: right? Yeah, because you're writing... A Rails
1: deployment is a Rails deployment is a Rails deployment.
0: Right, you're you're writing, yeah.
1: yeah, A Java deployment is a Java deployment. Yes, there's some configuration, but once you get into the meat of the development, not the admin side, you're dealing with whatever your platform of choice is. Java, Ruby, uh, hell, even PHP if you're a bastard. (laughs) I, I, I get it, right? And we've always said that Linux is strong on the server, but... You know, when people email in about desktop Linux, it is an incredibly small fraction of the market. Yeah. Um, and to get I defensive. Love it right. I, no, I like it as well. But to get defensive and say, well, it's big on the server, that, absolutely, but that's not really the same thing. You right? know,
0: so- I, I made the same mistake last week. Um, I kind of regret kind of how hard I came down on Microsoft in the show uh, in the light of the Connect thing, you know, them pulling back on the Connect. Um, and then, of course, like the next day they released the Surface 3 and everybody's like, oh, Microsoft's so great. Uh, I I think what it is, is like you and I both acknowledge where they do well. Like Microsoft is doing well in cloud, in enterprise. Linux is doing well in the same space so there 's not a lot of criticism to be had there because right. they 're kind of doing the right thing. So when it comes time to discuss these things and tell you guys kind of like these are the waters that you are going to have to tread as you enter this region, um those are the things we focus on are the areas that need improvement, the areas that will screw you over, the areas that you know kind of going in. Hindsight being twenty twenty, we now realize and see, so we tell you about them, and we're more inclined to focus on those kinds of things, and maybe not discuss the fact that Linux is crushing it in the web server space, or that Microsoft is giving Amazon an actual run for their money in cloud right, hosting space. Azure. Right.
1: I, I would also add one more thing. Uh, on the server side, you know, tools like Docker are far more interesting to me than the, uh, you know, than the let's say minutia of running a Linux server. And and frankly, because Docker is Docker is kind of changing how we do things, yeah, right? Yep. In in a way, and I know this is going to piss people off, but Docker make doc, Docker and Doctor, something I just made up, uh, is making it so I care less about my server, right? Because I have my little Docker environment and I'm good to go, right?
0: The it that almost it almost abstracts out the underlying server OS to a simple implementation right. detail. It's much more flexible.
1: Like I'll give you a great, great example. Uh, DigitalOcean extensively uses Docker can deploy it there it's beautiful we're actually running all of our source control on DigitalOcean now using GitLab. that's awesome and this is because of the magic of docker we can clone we can do all kinds of crazy shit where everything's backed up in triplicate yeah that if something happened if you know there was a storm on the digital ocean or whatever we'd be fine and yeah. this stuff was a lot harder before yeah and frankly it would have been not too scary for you know from a business perspective for me to take the risk on but right these days with yeah, I get it. The Linux server's cool. I like it, but it's really hard for me not to look at the more more shiny tools like Docker and before it there was Chef for the Rails side, right? Yeah. To me that's the cool side. Yeah. Uh, I I'm I mean, there with you. Like CentOS versus Red Hat thing.
0: I mean, yeah. I totally it's like a good thing people are excited about the server side because all that no, stuff depends awesome. on that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But me too, you know, I just I did it for years and I'm with you. Like when I saw Docker come along, um, I, I both you and I recognize that as something that was going to be huge. I mean, that's why we pushed to have those guys on the show early on so that way we, we could have that in our back catalog years down the road when, Do- when Docker is basically dominating the data center. Um, in fact, why, before we go too much further, why don't we stop right here and uh, thank our first sponsor this week. And that is DigitalOcean. That's right. DigitalOcean is a sponsor of the Coterie program. And you, you know why. Mike was just telling you why. When you have to deploy a back-end system, they are completely changing up the game now, right? And here's why. DigitalOcean is something brand new and unique where they are combining a bunch of technologies that have finally arrived, and then they, it took just somebody, a, a company with taste and vision to really put it together in a great package. So use our promo code May. The month of May is almost over. So let's give Coder Radio a good showing. I really would love it if you go over there, use the promo code May, and you're going to get... A ten dollar credit when you use the promo code Coder May. Now, if you don't know what DigitalOcean is, we'll buckle up because I'm going to tell you. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting, dedicated to offering the most intuitive, easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in fifty-five seconds, and pricing plans started only five dollars a month. Ah, yes. Now you see why Coder May is such a great deal because we're going to get you that ten dollar credit. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. And for $5 a month, you're going to get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. You can see why Mike would want to throw his GitLab up on there, right? Because for $5, you're not going to go over a terabyte with that kind of thing when it's just a team of a set amount of people. And they have such a straightforward pricing structure. that If you do need to step up, which is a great problem to have, it's so easy and it's Obvious what your prices are going to be. There's no mystery involved. At the end of the day, though, what I really am passionate about is DigitalOcean's simple and intuitive control panel. Their interface is so great for deploying images to make backups. If you have a great system that's almost totally set up, clone it. Don't set up a new system from scratch. Save yourself time and just redeploy a working system. That's what I do. And if you ever need to take it up to the next level, they have a straightforward API that allow you to replicate a lot of those functions on a much larger, more automated system, and you can take advantage of great apps the community is already using that API for. So go over to digitalocean.com, use that promo code codermay, get that $10 credit, build yourself a system. You can do anything from running Minecraft on it to hosting a GitLab to your own chat server. I don't know, man, the the possibilities are endless. And it's a great way to learn, too. DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERMAY and get a $10 credit. And a big, big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the CODER radio program. There you go, Mr. Dominic. Gosh, I tell you what, that's one of the best services that I have signed up for recently. I love it. Oh, yeah, I'm loving it. So um, before we go into the Apple stuff, real quick, any thoughts on the Surface 3? Just super quick.
1: Uh, I haven't seen one in person, so it's a little hard to say. I've read the specs, I've read the reviews from uh, Paul Throt and Windows Weekly stuff like that. It looks r- like a huge step forward. It looks really good. Yeah. Having said that, you know, even as a guy who buys Macs, that price point because really you don't want the seven ninety nine one, right? No. <laughs> you, you don't. You really. You know that that option probably shouldn't exist. <laughs> so you're looking at. Well, it's like the low end Mac mini, right? You probably want the one right up from it.
0: Oh, for sure, yeah.
1: You're probably spending a thousand dollars. And if you get to that top end, you're spending about two grand. Yeah. Uh the surface is a little too much of an experimental product for me to to wager that much, so right? So
0: let's say I go two hundred and fifty six gigabytes and an I seven.
1: And that and I spent like fifteen hundred bucks on the Surface Two Pro that I
0: have. Yeah, this is fifty five hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah, I just know.
1: It's it's a very impressive machine um i you know and maybe i'll see one in the store and be like oh this is a laptop replacement but i
0: you know i don't know i wonder if uh i wonder if the surface 5 surface 6 i wonder if those will be in a price range where i can kind of you know uh, afford to do that experiment right we'll see uh all right well are you ready to bust out your crystal balls and do a wwdc uh predictions roundup
1: Yes, I've been fondling my crystal balls for the last few minutes. So
0: this is the uh, this is the Monday before WWDC. So the best rumors are now starting to come out. The ones that are like either like what? Just what are you talking about? What, or the, you,
1: you mean like the one where uh, Steve Ballmer's coming to help out Apple? That one?
0: <laughs> no, no. The first one I was thinking about. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, Apple to launch new smart home platform at WWDC. Uh, the platform will connect with iPhones directly and allow the iPhone to control. Lights, security systems, and other household gadgets. And the uh, the framework for developers will be announced <laughs> next Monday, according to this rumor. Um, uh, so,
1: what? so I've heard one that's even crazier. Okay, I heard that not only are they launching an iWatch, but they will be abandoning Objective C for it.
0: Well, and, and uh, HTML five only.
1: I've heard everything from Ruby to HTML five. This is obviously not true. People have been doing the uh, the ditching Objective-C for Ruby Ruber for a long time. Yes,
0: I know. Well, do you, uh, do, you uh, do you really think we're going to see an iWatch t- next Monday?
1: No, I, I don't think we're seeing a watch. I think
0: You think we'll see, see a it. SDK? No. Mm? I mean, remember, they pre-announced the iPhone in January for a shipment in June to give I, developers I, time to write for it. Maybe they release an SDK with an emulator? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't
1: see it. I don't see it, don't just, see it either. Yeah, no, it's
0: a next year thing, if anything.
1: I, uh, I don't. I can't imagine why they'd want into that category. So here's. A, let me tell you what I want to see, because that guarantees that I'm not going to. Okay. How about we finally fix core data in iCloud?
0: Yeah, I know, right? That's really what you'd like them to announce is.
1: That, to me, that's the biggest thing. Followed closely, but in fact, this I might have flip flopped my order. How about some sort of sane in-app interaction? Yeah where you don't have to call the other developer on the phone be like, hey, can we get a hard-coded URL scheme together? You mean
0: improve like the beta testing process from end to end, that kind of no, thing? No, no, no.
1: I mean like, so if you have an app and I have an app and we want to have some sort of interaction between our apps, oh. first of all, we're severely limited. Yeah. Second of all, you and I have to sit down for coffee and, and decide on a URL So you
0: want an together. in-app communication system? I want in-app Contracts. You want contracts. I want
1: intents for contracts. They can follow the Microsoft route with the contracts. They could do the Android intents. I don't really care. They're virtually the same thing. Either way is fine. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and it seems like in order to be a real operating system, you almost have to add that. I I, right. I think if Apple announces iOS eight without that, even in a in a, in a more limited, streamlined down version, uh, that's a huge misstep. Also, don't you think it's a little odd that they haven't yet? I mean, we've had several iterations now with Siri, and yet, see, we got Siri on the iPhone four S, yeah. right? I- is that right? Yeah. Right?
1: No, that's true. It was the S. S is for Siri. And yet applications
0: still can't integrate with Siri. You can't launch certain, like, I can't, I can't ask for, like, what if Siri was the go-between where I could hold down the button and boop, boop, and I'd say, okay, Siri, or, or, or I guess that's Google, but say, Siri, open whatever and play whatever. Like, if I could integrate with more things, like, that could be the go-between in some ways for some stuff. They could at least start there, but nothing. We've gotten nothing.
1: I don't think that. I, I don't think that would work. I think that'd be a tough implementation, actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know why. Yeah, I'm sure it would be.
1: Yeah, in, in fact, on the Siri front altogether, I, I don't see a whole lot. Um, well, only because I, they, I don't think they've sorted out their server side issues, so I don't think they're going to go anywhere near that.
0: So back on the uh, on the iOS eight stuff, one of the things that's um, that's been rumored on the tablets is this uh, sort of uh, snapping split-screen functionality that uh, Windows 8 has and some Android tablets have based on the OEM software. Uh, what is there? There is almost no point in having th- that screen snapping capability unless those applications can talk to each other. Because the work case scenario there is I am... Putting inputting data into one application and maybe I have a web browser or an email or a chat session open in the other application and I need to move data that's beyond just copy and paste between the two applications. And at what point is there in implementing any kind of application snapping if the two applications are absolutely isolated from each other?
1: Yeah, I don't think we're seeing that either.
0: <laughs> really? Because that's a pretty strong rumor for iOS The application 8. snapping? Yeah. I,
1: so that would require more substantial multitasking. Well, I mean,
0: dude, they've got this new chip, 64-bit A7. All they have to do is just put more RAM. If they doubled or tripled the RAM, which... Yeah, but
1: that's not the Apple way. So is the newest device going to multitask and the others don't? That that seems like a nightmare. I
0: think the iPads will, yeah.
1: Oh, that doesn't seem good. I mean...
0: (sighs) Anything with an A7. And a large enough screen, and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this rumored new iPhone does it too.
1: So if they do that, that is going to force a lot of developers to update their apps very quickly because a lot of developers I know are not using relative layouts. Right. Yeah. Uh, because they suck. I mean, I, I hate to say it. I know some people are like, "Oh, you just get on board." It is a lot more work to do the relative layout don't you it's...
0: don't you think now is the time to to, to to make that upset though because if you need developers to also potentially update for a larger phone screen size then at this conference you, you know you, you don't necessarily come right out and say we're adding these features but you come out and say developers you need to plan to accommodate features that allow for this that'll be one of the announcements essentially don't you think
1: Maybe. I mean, they've certainly been pushing the auto layout stuff pretty hard. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did something that really screwed you if you're still using the old uh, CG rec style layouts. I just, if they did that, that would be really, really disruptive. And I don't know if they're confident enough to do that. Certainly not on the phone, I don't think.
0: Hmm. I don't know, man. You're 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 not you're looking at this too rationally. Uh, you need to put on your Johnny Ive uh, hat for a second. Ive's got a vision, okay, and uh, and there's a certain way that things should be done. And now that Ive is standing over hardware and software control from top to bottom design, I, I could see Apple so afraid they've lost their mojo that if Ive comes with a vision that's strong like that, they'll push it just so that way they can confidently tell themselves. You know that they're following a disciple of Steve.
1: So the problem, see, you know, their biggest strength is still the apps tend to be higher quality, particularly on the sab- tablet side, right? Mm, yes. I-, I can't see them doing anything that would be incredibly disruptive to the developer community.
0: Well, that's why you get until you get to until the fall. You know, you, here's your heads up in, in June, uh, and you have until when do they normally? November, September. So you have, you know, you have summer time to <laughs> get things in shape and hammer out your last bugs in fall. Um, and I think, I don't know. They ha- See, the thing is, if they don't do this stuff, they're screwed. If, if they cannot produce a, a larger phone screen, you know, and some people, are, some people are suggesting they'll have a larger phone, they'll just keep it the same resolution as the current screen. So it'll be like a, it'll be a lower DPI, but so, it'll yeah, be the same so size.
1: so I, I think it will be... I think there will be a larger device, but I think it's proportionally the same, so that everything just gets blown up.
0: But for the record, not announce at WWDC.
1: No, I don't think they announce any devices. I think they, I think you'll know about the larger phone, because the, the session's probably not the keynote. There'll be some very strongly worded, you need to use relative layouts" kind of thing. Like,
0: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking.
1: Wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. You, it's it's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but remember they gave I mean with the iPhone five, they gave like three four months grace yes. Of race yes. you didn't support the screen and they just did the black bar thing yeah so th- there I mean there is a world that I could see where you know apps are somehow letter boarded again right Let- letter barred right I, I, you know i I don't from a development perspective, I don't care what they do with the device
0: i anymore. i I think if they I think if they sold an iPhone six with a larger display uh with the same resolution as the iPhone 5s today so they just scaled it up i think all of the tech pundits and everyone in our chat room would declare apple <clears throat> as have failed as you know this is a fail product this is a lame duck iphone i think folks like my dad would be in line to buy it because what my dad wants is he wants to be able to read his screen that's he's you know over 50 and right. it's for him the iphone screen the reason why he wants to switch to an android is because he wants something that's easier to read. But the problem with the Android screens is they're so high resolution that the text is just as small as it is on his iPhone. So he would prefer this. And I'm not even an old person, and I would kind of prefer it. Because when I'm looking at my phone, you know, maybe I'm driving, which I shouldn't be, I know, or you know, I'm out in the sun and it's hard to read, a little bit larger text would actually be something nice for me. And it's not like I need some sort of 16 by 9 cinema experience, although that would be a 16 by 9 aspect. But you know what I'm saying? So that would be a way they could do a larger screen and not have to disrupt applications, not have to disrupt developers.
1: So the thing is, for for me, from a kind of a dev perspective, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, it matters if they screw up, you know, you know, layouts, I have three layouts and things like that, and that, that's annoying. But the things that are are really hitting me are, oh my God, we need to chill out with all those code signing stuff. It, it's just, yes, it's it's silly. Yeah. Um, you know, I need some form of inter-app communication that isn't ridiculous pre-planned uh, URL schemes. Uh, how about we get iCloud to work and core data on iCloud? And, oh, what about Game Center? hmm <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: Like, it's all the boring back-end service stuff that...
0: That's not stuff you're going to hear about in a keynote. That's stuff you might hear if you go to a session, and it might come out in a technical right. video, but that's the stuff that makes developers just sick and tired of the Apple ecosystem after a while.
1: Yeah, see to me I'm not looking for anything new I'm looking let's let's patch what we've been doing for the last two years so that it's functional um, because my problem is if I have a customer who wants to use a you know iCloud core data for whatever reason that's a huge huge problem for me that's a QA nightmare and you know I don't recommend people use it I recommend they avoid iCloud altogether wow I mean I understand it's a better experience for the user but you know, from a contract development point of view, you don't want this thing that fails, you know, 40% of the time.
0: It makes you look bad. And then right. it becomes an ongoing support issue that costs you money.
1: The the additional, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to turn this into a bitching session.
0: but No, this is the stuff they need to fix.
1: You know, it's, it's really nice that they want to do a bigger phone. I, I think that's great. Yeah. <laughs> how about you get your relative layouts to where they're not stupid
0: <laughs> oh, man!
1: where you don't, you know, I understand it's, it's something you have to learn, but no other platform requires you to learn a second discipline to do layouts. Uh, just saying, get out of here. You know, how about maybe we, why not just copy Android? I know Android. Oh, it's dirty. They're so simplistic. So Spartan, but they work. Right. And they don't it doesn't take 10 hours to get a layout to scale relatively, you know, because you have like nested tables or nested collection views or whatever. Mm-hmm. How about collection view works better?
0: Um. Yeah, I'm, I follow you. You know, when I think about this kind of stuff, when I think about new devices coming up, one of their biggest um, selling points is well, we avoid a lot of the problems of the Apple app development ecosystem that that, you know, exists from beginning to end. Beginning to end, there's problems. I mean, we were just talking about the NUC at the beginning of the show. That is addressing, fundamentally, at a foundational level, a problem in the Apple development chain. You know, Uh, if I want to get out and make an app for a $400 phone, my best option right now is to buy a $1,000 computer.
1: Yeah. How about this? You own TestFlight now. Great. Yeah. What about this ridiculous process of me having to individually invite people to take beta tests, Wait for them to get an email, accept the email, and then uh, roughly half of them don't know that they have to open it on their device yeah. to register their device, which I then have to copy the UUID back into the stupid developer center, regenerate my provisioning profile, mm. rebuild the app, just to send it for each new person who has each new device out every time.
0: So frustrating.
1: Why can't that just not be a thing?
0: And, and you know as...
1: Or, or if, if you still need to stop people from distributing third-party apps you own both the developer portal where my certificate and my mm-hmm. provisioning profile is generated mm-hmm. and the and the only really viable beta service right so how about you just integrate that
0: yeah you, you got to hope that's what they're doing, and and maybe they'll announce something to WWDC. But it seems too soon because the test flight thing just happened. What in December or something like yeah, that? No, yeah,
1: they, I mean, the only thing I've noticed <laughs> is test flight's been a little less crappy, which is amazing. But yeah. <laughs> um,
0: well, sometimes money helps. Uh, that's sometimes yeah, really what that's it does take.
1: Really, what it was just buy a few. The, more The servers. thing is, is
0: this problem uh, has just become so enormous for it not to be properly addressed. First of all, the, just the scale of development now happening. Around the App Store, it's insane that this process isn't better. But second of all, as you begin to add more iterations of devices, large screen devices, older phones, 64-bit processors, 32-bit processors, iPhone colors, iPads, like the the you, you know that that Apple doesn't have fragmentation story begins to become yeah. a little bit of a fairy tale. And, and then and the, p- con-
1: the contrast for the deployments, and no, not to get you off, but no, no. During the beginning of the show, while we were discussing user emails, I compiled made an Android build in Xamarin, signed it up, and sent it to my test users. In a, two minutes. Yeah. Where uh, on iOS, that never would have happened.
0: And, and this problem is just going to get worse. Beta testing yeah. with these new hardware devices, with the the additional complexity added to these applications, becomes even more of a problem. And so if they don't address that... See, I think they're getting to the point where if they don't address some things at WWDC and waiting till the next WWDC is going to feel too long.
1: So this happened two years ago, right though? Cause even, you know, even in the, the Apple hippie community, there's a, uh, you know, there's some grumbling, particularly about, you know, some of the economic issues that I've been on and on and on about. Yeah, people I've have noticed. Kinda, I've noticed some folks have finally started singing my song. Yeah. Although they, they act as though it's an original idea. Yeah. Which is awesome.
0: <laughs> um, Don't worry, man. I noticed.
1: Thank you. Uh, <laughs> You know, this happened two years ago, too, though, right? The developers started getting grumpy. People like me who are more pragmatic developers don't really care about the platform but are interested in, you know, it's a great platform to develop on for our customers, so we do it, uh, are always the first to get grumpy, right? But once the real faithful start to speak out, and this happened two years ago, Apple did a few things to make the situation suck a little less, right? They added provisioning profiles into Xcode. Still make you do the whole stupid process, but now you can do part of it in Xcode. Great. Uh, So I'm cautiously optimistic that this is going to be another, you know, Snow Leopard-style update for the developer tools where it's not much consumer-facing, but your life will suck a little less. I know I'm wrong, but...
0: You never know. Sometimes you get surprised.
1: I don't know. It it seems like the analysts... You know, it's tough, right, because these Apple rumors are ridiculous, the only thing I would say is that I see so much going on on the Google side that is so much better. Mm. And even on the Microsoft side, yes, they don't have market share.
0: Well, you were talking about iCloud problems, right? That probably wouldn't yeah. even be a factor if you're you know, doing Android development. Yeah, they've got that button down.
1: The Play services are incredible. Uh, Microsoft, you know, you might not love them, but their development tools are fantastic. Mm-hmm. So y- Apple's kind of the worst in breed in, in this one area. Mm-hmm. But they just – right now, they have a selling power, at least in the domestic market,
0: not well, to in, care. Well, in Microsoft's case, they had the luxury of sort of relaunching their product when some of this back-end infrastructure was there, right? Uh, Apple sort of discovered through the popularity of their product that this infrastructure is required. And Google has the benefit of coming from a background of infrastructure, So both Microsoft and Google were automatically in better positions to be better suited for this, and this has always classically been a weaker area for Apple, and they were one of the first to come to market with a massive-scale app system where they realized, oh, crap, not only were they not geared to think like this, but we're not really geared to build a system like this, but all of a sudden we have this massive product that requires it, and that's been a source of uh, constant struggle. Now,
1: Well, I I also feel... I'm I'm cutting you off tremendously. It's okay. Go ahead. I like it. I I also feel that, you know, Apple unlike Google in particular approaches everything regarding to the developers with the, what will, what bad thing will happen if we do this? And we have to make sure we mitigate that before we do the thing. Whereas Google's like, let's try it. And if we have to, we'll kill
0: kill it, it back or whatever. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, frankly, I think the code signing situation for beta builds only exists because of that weird fear of third party apps being distributed, which people are doing anyway, by the way. Yeah. So, you know, I I know I'm going to be wrong. I know they're going to release something stupid. I know it's, you know, I, I'm hoping for a reasonable 13-inch MacBook Pro. I'm not going to get it in terms of the consumer side. Uh, I'd love to see a Mac Mini update. I don't think I'm getting it.
0: All right, well, hold on, because I, I have an idea of something you might get. I got two I think I've got two absolutely confirmed hardware products right, that will be it. shipping. And then I've got a third that I mean, I this third product category I want to say is total crap other than this rumor won't go away, and it actually makes a ton of sense. So I've got three things. That's three things, but before we get to that, I want to tell you about our second sponsor this week, and that that is the great folks over at Linux Academy. Go to LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. That's going to take $5 off the lifetime of your subscription. So what is Linux Academy? Oh, man, this is a service I am so glad has finally come into its age. This is started by a group of guys that are Linux enthusiasts that also knew how to build a back-end system and infrastructure for something like this. They built this from the ground up. It gives you step-by-step video courses. There's guides you can go through that keep track of your progress. When a course requires a server, they'll spin up your own server on the back-end in virtualization. They have downloadable content guide so you can keep a pdf or an mp3 or a video version of the guide so that way you can study on your own and then you can go back and you can try it out and test yourself and see where you're at and they've got more than seven linux distributions that you can pick from and the documentation automatically adjusts so you know like if you're like me and you want to do the ubuntu route or the arch route you're good man you're good you want to do the red hat route you're good you can do it And what's awesome, which I think is one of the greatest things is they're expanding into AWS development, too, is you can become certified in the AWS region. Maybe you want to get out there and do some development on that platform. I think that's a pretty neat neat system because they integrate that with their virtual lab. So if you're in the AWS courseware and it's scenario-based courseware that they have where you actually will do a real-world product like maybe store an image on S3 and go retrieve something, use the Amazon Web Accelerator and things like that, take advantage of EC2. They'll go through, you'll go through the whole process of the Amazon product pipeline to build a real-world situation while you're learning with their guides, with the self-quizzing, and you don't have to worry about the cost because they're spinning up the virtual AWS instance for you. That's what's so sweet about this. You can take your time. You can take your time and just quiz as you go when, you're, when you have flexibility in your schedule. And those course guides that you can download also help. You can read them offline or you can read them on the computer. And you get to keep them. They're not wrapped in a DRM. And it's a pretty neat system, too, because that back-end control panel has all kinds of courses you can pick from. So if one week you want to focus on Linux and the next week you want to focus on AWS or, one, or, or OpenStack or the fundamentals of Linux firewalls, you can do that. All of the courseware is available to you. So get started by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders and see what they've got. Go take some of the self-paced labs. Go try their tour. They list a bunch of the features out on their website. You can go check it out. Look at that. If you're watching the video version, look at that UI they've created there where you can see your course progress for your different courses. You get, your, you get all of your relevant information right here you get your timeline. I mean, look at how good that looks. Look how well they've done with this. This is such a cool system, and it's such a great way to bring your skill set up to the next level, so that way, when it comes time for that yearly review, you've got a check mark there on that box. Or if it comes time to land that contract, you've got the ammo. Your quiver is loaded, my friend, with knowledge. Or maybe if you want to get that next certification, but you have a busy lifestyle, you can make all of that fit with Linux Academy with that that self-paced training and testing. And then, if you get stuck or you have questions, there's an active community forum you can lean on. It's a pretty cool system. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders to get started. Go check it out. See what I've been talking about. Let me know how it goes for you. And don't forget, if you're in a group, they have group discounts. If you have a team of folks that want to do some training, you guys can all get in there and work together. It's a pretty cool system. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Bring your skill sets up to the next level. I have found... I was just talking last night with, uh, with Rikai actually. <clears throat> I think I've been using Linux since 97. I think is the year I started using Linux. Self-taught. And you'd think, okay, if you've been using something since 1997, you'd think you're an expert on it. And I have found that while I, there's pretty much no situation I can't muddle my way through very effectively, there sometimes is a better way to do it or a different way to go about it that sometimes just going back and learning those fundamentals fills in those gaps and has made me, even though I've been doing it since the late 90s, has made me better. It's made me more effective. That's, for me, that's invaluable and that's something I will keep with me forever. And the fact that they keep adding new courseware, two to three new courseware items a week, that's, that's an insane value. And that's the kind of investment you can make in yourself. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, so here is here's what I I am almost positive you're going to see next week. And I don't know if this is going to I don't know if this is going to appeal to you. I know you've been talking about maybe just sticking with the desktop. I think next week you're going to see new IMAX. The IMAX shipping dates have slipped uh, like they have before when before they get refreshed. So they used to be 24 hours. Now they're going out to three to five business days to a week. Again, this would be a great way to come in. Haswell, these bad mamma jammas, right? Go in there update the graphics, all that kind of stuff. Um <clears throat> so I think you're going to see that I think you're also going to see new MacBook Pros is my sus- my suspicion.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair.
0: They'll probably come with the new uh, 800 series Nvidia graphics or whatever the equivalent ATI is and they'll have the graphics switching. Do you think they'll be you don't think there's going to be Retina MacBook Airs because of the battery life?
1: I don't think this is the year. I don't think we're getting a Retina MacBook Air. I think we're getting <sighs> You know, I don't, I don't know that we're getting anything on the Air.
0: Yeah. Well, one rumor, and this is the one that I'm saying just won't go away, is that the MacBook Air, they'll have a prototype A7-based MacBook Air with a larger trackpad, as the rumors say. Uh, this is according to a French site, MacBudel. Uh, they say that Apple is developing an ARM processor-based Mac. According to the source, they describe it as a reliable source at that. They have prototypes of several ARM-based machines, including an iMac, a Mac Mini, and a 13-inch notebook. With that one having the biggest stink behind it, the notebook would have a built-in A7 quad core. Now, don't forget, Apple bought a chip manufacturing house, right? What was the uh, – it uh, starts with a P. I'm blanking on their name. but they Yeah, I
1: forgot their name.
0: Uh, they have a really well-respected – They bought a really well-respected CPU shop. They brought them in-house. They've been developing every processor for the iPhone now for, I think, I don't know about the first one, but at least since the second one. PI Semiconductor, was that it? Can't remember. Yeah, that was it? Yeah. So what do you think, Mike? Are we going to see an A7 MacBook?
1: I don't think so. Um,
0: See, we've got got rumors going back to 2011. That's how long these rumors have been persistent.
1: I think that's eventually what's going to happen. I don't think that happens this year. Um, so I was just looking at their sites. There's shipping delays on the iMac, it looks like. Yep. And nothing else.
0: I think the MacBooks sell so fast that they don't. I think the iMacs, because they move slower, they... Uh, yeah, they made less. Yeah. Yeah, it was PA semi they
1: I mean, We're almost certainly getting MacBook Pros, right? Because they tend to do that always around WWDC, which makes a lot of sense. I would just... You know, I just took another look at those mini specs, and they're kind of terrible.
0: Dude. Price. Dude, it's unbelievably bad.
1: Yeah. So, I, I guess I'm just hoping that they throw their, their devs a bone, because that's a pretty common dev machine.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I I think the MacBook Pro is probably a pretty common one, too.
1: Yeah, I, I would say both of those, and I think that would be more than sufficient.
0: Apple is, uh, is really, uh, seems to me, to be the pretty clear uh, leader in terms of... Uh, High-end laptops. Uh, and and yeah. I can say that even from the Linux community, my very own audience, who are unabashed Linux fans from Linux Action Show, Linux Unplugged, a high degree of them, a high degree of them seem to prefer MacBooks uh, at, at, at a consensus I've never seen before. So I think if they rev the MacBook, I think that would do well for them. I think that's a slam dunk. I think the iMac's a slam dunk. I think if they don't rev the Mac Mini, um, then I would, I would fundamentally question Apple's long-term commitment to the Mac yeah, platform.
1: I think if you, don't, if you don't see the Mac mini revved, or you don't at least hear... You it's need coming, to
0: worry about the Mac in general, I think.
1: I don't think about the Mac. I think you need to worry about the mini, because the mini sells, first of all. Uh, but the mini maybe doesn't sell to people they want to be selling to. Or, more accurately, I'm, you know a lot of dev shops buy minis. If they didn't update it, mm. you'd probably be forced to buy an iMac or a MacBook Pro, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you just spent double the money at least. Yeah. So I could see a world where they just say, you know... Well, like kind
0: this. of. Actually, um, a uh, fully specced out Mac Mini, because I was looking at them you know, right. for some studio use versus the NUC. Uh, an iMac's only a couple hundred dollars more, and you get more machine plus the screen. So.
1: Right. So if you're not just buying the Mac mini cuz it's a low end, it doesn't make sense to buy the Mac mini, right? If you're going above that 799 price point, you probably don't you probably just want to go to the iMac.
0: You know what I think they need to do is a Mac Pro mini. Uh you know cuz you yes. don't you don't need a uh dual Xeon rig and you don't need yeah. dual ATI Radeon graphics. But if they maybe gave you a high end Core i7 or maybe a yes. single Xeon with a single GPU
1: um yes.
0: That's all they gotta do. It doesn't have to be the Mac mini form factor.
1: So so that's the issue for me, right? Because I you can even the way they lay it out on their site, obviously the mini is supposed to be low end, the iMac is supposed to be mid range, and the pro is pro, but the pro is not really pro for everybody. The pro is for graphics, uh graphics artists. And
0: four K guys and three D renderers and whatnot. Yeah. yeah.
1: And the iMac, you know, the fact that it's a screen and a computer and one kind of makes it a little bit of a liability.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's also in the uncanny valley, where it has right. like this uncanny amount of power, but yet it is limited in storage and input-output IO options in some ways, and you, are, you have a fixed video card. So after about a year or two, the iMac quickly drops off on the list of things it's valuable for, whereas if you're on a rig that you could open and maybe replace that GPU, I mean, yes. for me, that makes a big difference for rendering. Well,
1: for me, from a purchasing perspective, the fact that I can't open any of these machines and update them, you know, it makes it a tough buy. I'm just looking at the iMacs. To get the 27-inch base iMac at $1,800, that's a tough buy for me. Yeah. I mean, it, it. it's a well-specced machine, but... Yeah.
0: It's fixed. It's fixed in time. It's sealed, essentially. You, yeah. can, you can. There's a little door on the back you can open, and you can put in some ramp.
1: So my, uh, my buddy and I did spec out, because I've been you know looking at PCs, desktops versus iMacs. It's not that much more expensive up front. It's roughly $250, because I added in the cost of this. Uh, I actually recently got an Asus 27-inch Pro monitor. Ooh, nice. Yeah, so those are not cheap. But the issue I had was, that, you know, for another 200 bucks, the iMac is really, really nice. But in a year, I can't update it. In two years, I can't, you know, but I'm probably okay, right? Two years, I'm still okay, but I'm maybe looking around. It's
0: starting to feel it.
1: Yeah, three years, I'm like, all right, well, let me just get a little more value out of this. By the end of that third year, I'm looking to buy. Yeah. And that's, you know, with, with let's just, I, I'm using Dell because like when I buy PCs, I tend to buy Dells. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking like this Dell XPS tower I have here has been fine. It's been almost a year. If it starts to slow down on I me, mean, it's got 12 gigs of RAM right now. I could slot in another 4, um, get a better GPU, you know, switch its spinning disk drive to an SSD or add another drive that is an SSD to do kind of a uh, – you know, that crazy fusion thing. Yeah. I can't do that on a Mac. And that the, – they're just a little too disposable for me right now.
0: The, they, uh, But the price – doesn't make them disposable in a way too, so, right? Yeah.
1: And that's and it makes them a huge investment, right?
0: Yeah, right. Um, and so I, I think some of that, I think is gonna is gonna take a readjustment of how you, uh, what you get. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I've recently gone through a realization that we are in a new generation of density of power. Like these nucs and these ultrabooks are kind of insane. Like, you know, we're talking i7 processors, right? We're talking tons of memory. i7 and SSDs kind of leveled the performance playing field in a really, really big way. And so I, I rolled the dice. When Rekai started, I bought a fully specced out 27-inch iMac. I mean, I put a terabyte a PCI Express SSD in that thing, you know, a ton of RAM. Uh, basically, anyway, you can max it out, we did. Uh, and And I'm hoping that's a three-year machine for him. And I think it can be, even though I can't replace the GPU. But I definitely can't afford to buy any more than one every three years. That's absolutely for sure. Uh, but I, I, what I've kind of thought about is, I, I think we are entering a period where our computers, if you make the correct purchase initially, can last much longer than they have in the past. The, 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 the dropping of spinning discs, um, and 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 the the speed that you get out of an i5 processor or an i7 processor. For me, I think that means today. If you buy a machine, the only part you really have to worry about is that GPU long term, and that just is totally dependent on your workload, on your work task. I, I think you might find uh, an iMac or a refreshed refreshed Mac Mini or something of that equivalence would last longer than the same machine would have lasted yeah. that you bought three or four years ago.
1: No, I mean I'm already finding that to be tr- to be true. To be honest, um, I'm just kind of clicking through. I do need to replace one of my machines. Uh, you know, a MacBook Pro would probably do the job. It's just a lot of money.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and
1: that's where I... And I have... I See, Chris, I'm one of these hair, um, heathens that doesn't like the Retina display. What? Yeah, I... You know, the internet is not Retina yet. Mm-hmm. It's getting there, but... I don't know. Maybe this is just me being a curmudgeon, but... I can't really tell. Curmudgeon! I seen, yeah, I have seen them in the store... They look pretty, but is it that much prettier that I'm willing to give up, you know, the processing power and spend the extra money? Well, why not?
0: Because there is like a hack to turn it off and just have like amazing resolution.
1: Yeah, just have a super fast high-res machine. You know. Yeah, yeah. That
0: seems like the way to go. <laughs> That's probably what
1: would end up happening.
0: Uh, so uh, any, any like kind of wrapped up predictions? Do you think there's anything they're going to uh, just sort of copy whole cloth from Android or another operating system?
1: You know, last year I said notifications, and they still did a bad job. Yeah. I'd like to see them take another crack at it. Yeah, definitely, right? Even if they just, you know, stole it from Android. I don't think they're going to do widgets, though I would love them to, because as a developer, that would open up huge opportunities on iOS. Um, I, about, can, I, can I just reinstate my love of intents? Can we just do it? Yeah, heads?
0: right. No kidding. Can we underscore that? I, yeah. I feel like if they made improvements to iOS, that sort of brought it up. In um, feature-wise with some of the other operating systems, like intents or Contracts or whatever, yeah. um, I think I'm going to give it serious consideration to switch to. And the re- and I don't say that lightly. I've been thinking about this a lot, probably more than is appropriate for a grown man to think about a topic like this. And uh, I'm not, like, totally hating on Android, but I'm not totally enamored with Android anymore. And more specifically, I'm not so enamored with Google these days. And so I'm trying to change my perspective a little bit and be willing to consider iOS because, to me, I think, what, I think the whole uh, evil versus good battle has sort of influenced my judgment. In reality, they're both kind of of the same cloth.
1: Yeah, they're both evil. It, it, it's really Godzilla versus Mothra, right?
0: Yeah, and I, I'm not saying I'm going to switch. I'm saying if they do something that impresses me and then they release maybe in the fall, I mean, that would be as soon as a switch would probably happen, is if they didn't release something in the fall that was compelling right. with an operating system that was compelling. I think, to be intellectually honest with myself, I should at least consider it, uh, because in some ways... I think I properly understand the relationship I have with Apple. I'm pretty ambiguous onto what my relationship yeah. is with Google. I know that Apple's going to overcharge me for a phone and under-deliver on cloud services. That's what I know my relationship is with Apple. And I understand they're making uh, maybe an excessive profit off of that hardware purchase. When I buy a $350 unlocked Nexus 5 from Google Play Store... I'm not really quite so sure what that relationship is. I have a sneaking suspicion I'm on the losing end of it, but I also have a sneaking suspicion that I won't know if I'm on the losing end of it until it is way too late, where I am right. really on the losing end of that relationship, so and it's too not, far to take, take, take back.
1: take the balance path and just you know, get, get yourself that Nokia icon?
0: <laughs> Jerem says, get a Yala phone. <laughs> get a,
1: go get a Yala phone. Really, uh, it's all about Firefox OS.
0: Well, I mean, maybe or Ubuntu Touch or or whatever. I mean, again, it wouldn't be a permit. I wouldn't stick. I would. I. I think what I guess what I am trying to say is, I feel like maybe it's time for me to consider moving around a little bit, right. whoring myself out, as it were. Maybe I start at iOS and then I move to Fire. I don't know, but um, I guess what I, I guess what I am getting at is, I am not throwing in the towel on Google, but I am considering more and more that if. If that relationship is one that I'm on the losing side of it, the sooner I make a correction, the better off I am. The longer I continue to shrug it off and go, ah, it's no big deal, the more I am sort of unable to come back from that. Does that make sense? Like, because there's more they monitor, there's more there's tracking, there's you know more behaviors about me they learn. More that you know, like, and in some ways I like it. Like Google now is kind of an interesting product. I'm just not sure if it's for me. Uh, And I like the I like the idea that on iOS, those things, you know, you can completely unplug yourself from the Google infrastructure if you wanted to. It is, you know, absolutely opt out options on the on the iPhone side Uh, that might likely be true on the Firefox side, too. I I don't I've only played with the images. I haven't uh, got a Firefox machine. But anyways, it's just something I'm considering. So I'll be watching WWDC, not with the intent to switch or the plan to switch but with an eye of, you know, giving it some consideration, seeing what they have to talk about, with an open mind, but no decisions as of yet. So there you go. Otherwise, I think that's probably pretty much it. I did have a book pick I wanted to cover oh. before we ran. Yeah. Uh, this was sent in by uh, a viewer. So uh, he, I think we might have mentioned this before on the show. Uh, Gargan writes in. Greggan. He says, Hello, one of the listeners of Code Radio asked about an adv- advice on becoming a developer. Well, the book Concepts of Programming Languages by R. Sebastia, is an excellent overview of programming concepts across languages. Once you understand the concepts, almost every language is basically a dialect of C. So there you go. I have a link to that book in the show notes. And one last thing. You know, we've been talking a lot about getting new hardware. Um, Disasters can happen. So it might be a good time to uh, think about backups. This is Chris's friendly reminder. Hey, guys, are you backing up? Let me tell you about Carbonite. No, I'm kidding. Uh uh Anantec has an awesome awesome like awesome write up on backups a very comprehensive very up to date they just published it today on, uh, or I'm sorry, no, they published it last Monday, I think, on all of the really things you need to know about backup, everything to consider, a lot about RAID information. If you're setting up a file server, if you're setting up your machine, if you've got important stuff you're not backing up, there's they talk about the tools built into various operating systems. They talk about the different approaches you can take, uh, you know, consumer cloud, personal cloud, and final things to consider. It's a really good article from Anantech. On just everything, if you're not a sysadmin and you've never really dealt with serious backup, you know, photos that are super important or code that's super important, if you haven't lived that world, you might be surprised how many little things you need to consider. So go read the guide, Adverting Disaster, A Guide to Computer Backups, 2014 edition from Antech, and I have a link to that in the show notes as well. I just, hey, I care about you guys. Mr. Dominic, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of the people. You are people.
1: the people's champion.
0: So, uh, l- uh, last reminder: be sure to join us next Monday. You can show up early if you want, because we'll probably be streaming. I don't know if we'll stream. I don't think we can stream the keynote, but we'll stream Hello. our live commentary and we'll maybe play
1: by play. If
0: I find a pirate stream, I might accidentally play it in, but it'd be a total accident if that. I shouldn't say that in the recording. Never mind. I'll edit all that out. I'm sure. Uh, but we would love to have you join us. Uh, so show up on Monday next week. Uh, it's probably start around, I don't know, whenever the keynote kicks off, probably around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock uh, Pacific. Yeah, it's probably, what's that,
1: one, 1 Eastern, right? Yeah,
0: but the show will start at uh, noon Pacific, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, as is our regular time over, jblive.tv. And Wait, so uh, how are we going to do this? What? Well I, well, I figure you and I will get on, we'll get on the live stream during the keynote and, oh, okay. and offer our terrible. commentary. And then okay. once the keynote wraps at noon... We'll do just kick show. off and do the real show and Got then you. sort so of like summarize it. Yeah, like a, a long extended pre-show where we're giving live commentary. So that way people oh just God, tune I better in. Bring
1: some, I better bring some whiskey then.
0: Whiskey and a catheter would be my advice, Mr. Dominic. That's. I'm just saying as an old pro, that's how I roll. All yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mr. Dominic, well, where can I send folks throughout the week to get a little, a little more Dominic? Uh,
1: DominicM.com.
0: I like it. Don't forget... Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click that contact link, and send us in your feedback for the Coda Radio program. And join us live over at jblive.tv or jblive.info for the audio. You can follow me on Twitter. On Twitter, I'm twitter.com slash chrislas. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.